0: You are listening to a sermon podcast from Agape Baptist Church. recorded live from our Sunday service. Good morning, Church. Today's scripture reading is taken from Luke chapter 5, verse 1 to 11. On one occasion, when a crowd was pressing in on him to hear the word of God, he was standing by the lake of Gennesaret, and he saw two boats by the lake were James and John, sons of Zebedee, who were partners with Simon. And Jesus said to Simon, do not be afraid. From now on, you'll be catching men. And when they had brought their boats to land, they left everything and followed him. This is the word of the Lord. Lord bless you, church.
1: I'm so glad to see all of you this morning. Uh, If you're new to us in Agape, I want to give you a special agave welcome, you should have received a visitor's card. If you could just scan the QR code, fill in the form, we'd love to connect with you and also give you a free book. Now, this Sunday, we are starting a new three-part sermon series, Good News for Bad Times, Discovering True Christmas Cheer, Even in the Depth of Life's Miseries. And specifically today, we are considering what it's like when we fail to achieve the success we so desire in life. Now, for many people, it's actually very simple. Success is good. Failure is bad. And the bigger the failure, the greater the consequence, the worse it feels. Now, it's one thing to lose when you're playing Monopoly. It's another thing when you feel that you have failed at something that matters to you. Now, earlier in July and August this year, we had Olympics 2020 postponed for one whole year already. Now, many of us in Singapore still remember in 2016 how we felt, the jubilation we felt when Joseph Schooling won our nation's first ever Olympic gold in the 100-meter butterfly. I had a friend who told me this year, he still remembered how he felt. For a few days, actually, after schooling success, he felt he was on cloud nine. Super happy, super proud, uh, just because of his success. This time round, though, schooling, schooling didn't quite achieve the success he so desired, or so we desired as a nation. He didn't make it to the semis, finished overall 44th out of 55 swimmers for his pet event. Now, God bless schooling. It must have been very, very difficult for him. In his own words, reflecting on his performance, he said, it is hard to swallow, it's hard to digest. For many people, 2021 has been just that, hard to swallow, hard to digest. Think of the commercial pilot who used to be more than comfortable, proud of his career choice, never had to think twice when he buys a big ticket item. But he now struggles to make ends meet. His friends text him, asking, out, asking him out for an expensive buffet. And he's too embarrassed to tell them he can't afford it. So he just replies like, he's too busy, cannot, no time to come. Think of the child who hoped that she would score high enough for her exams to make it to the school or the course she wanted. She worked really, really, really hard, burned midnight oil. But when she got her results, she didn't meet the mark. She sees her friends rejoicing over their grades on social media. And every post hurts her bad. She's ashamed of herself. She actually tries to cut herself on her arms to numb that pain inside the privacy of her room. But she gets even more ashamed of herself when she sees all those cuts. She wears long sleeves, right, when she goes out. Doesn't want her mom to find out. Or well, think of the son who had inherited his father's Chinese restaurant that began a few generations before. He had promised his dad on his dad's deathbed that he would keep the business going. Like, I will, pa, don't worry. I will keep our family heritage going. I will retain all the old staff, all the uncles and aunties who had served under you. Everything looked bright at the start. And COVID came. And as the day goes by, it looks increasingly unlikely that he can keep the restaurant going. And he feels like a failure. He's going to let his dad down. He's going to let all his staff who are looking to him to lead him through the COVID crisis down. For all of these people, they are thinking, if only they enjoyed success, if only, then it would be so different. Everything would be different. Failure hurts. It inflicts misery. Sometimes not just to us, but the people around us. Has a sense of failure been any part of the experience this year in 2021? Have you found anything that has been hard for you to swallow this year? Hard for you to digest? Now, typically when we come to the end of a year, we get a bit more reflective. And as Christmas beckons, and I speak to the non-Christian here, maybe you're not a Christian, and you hear your Christian friends here tell you that this is a joyful season. Jesus is the reason for the season. And you may actually wonder, what difference does Christmas make in my failure? What difference does Jesus make in my present miseries? Some of us as Christians wonder that too. In the story you just heard from Scripture reading earlier, we discover the unique answers that Jesus provides for us when success eludes us in this broken world. Now, this story is from Luke chapter 5, verses 1 to 11. And as I unpack this story, I invite you to meet this Jesus for yourself. Here's how I'm going to do it today. I'm going to lead you through the flow of this entire story in Luke 5. And then based on this story, I will derive two precious lessons at the end for us today. Now here, at this point of the book in Luke chapter 5, in the chapters before, Jesus had already begun His teaching ministry. And He has been healing different ones as well. And here, the story zooms in on this special encounter with some fishermen. And clearly, this is no coincidence. Jesus is very intentional in reaching out to one particular fisherman in this story. Luke 5, verses 1 to 3. Let me read this to you. Is on the screen? Yep. On one occasion, while the crowd was pressing in on him, that's Jesus, to hear the Word of God. So here you see a picture, right? The people all very eager to hear Jesus. That's because it's getting more and more popular. And why are they here? Why are they trying to get close to him? Because they realize that he is teaching God's Word. And so Jesus was standing by the lake of Gennesaret, also called the Sea of Galilee. And then he saw two boats by the lake, but the fishermen had gone out of them. And then they were washing their nets already. Now here Jesus actually finds the perfect pulpit, the fisherman's boat. And acoustically, actually, it works out very well. Near the shore, his voice travels really, really well. It's like a natural amphitheater. Well, he doesn't just choose any random boat. he's very strategic. He gets into the exact boat he wants. Whose boat? Verse 3 tells us getting into one of the boats, which was Simon's, Simon's boat. Uh, most Christians today call him Peter because Jesus actually renamed him Peter sometime later. So I'm just going to call him Simon Peter throughout my message today. So Jesus asked Simon Peter, They put the boat a little out from the land. And once it was far enough, Jesus sat down and taught the people from the boat. Now, so here Jesus is teaching the people about God's word from Simon Peter's boat. Now, what specifically about God's word was Jesus teaching that day? It must have been the good news. Must have been the good news. Why? Because at the end of chapter 4, just preceding this chapter, Jesus had said these words, I must preach the good news of the kingdom of God to the other towns as well. This is what Jesus was committed to, preaching the good news. And so Jesus is all motivated to teach the good news and he must have been proclaiming the good news again. And so all these people came to listen to Jesus. But not this particular fisherman. He wasn't there to listen to Jesus, Simon Peter. He didn't seek out to hear Jesus. He just so happens to be there. But you know, when people get into the same boat as you, you typically hear them better. And Simon Peter that day must have been wondering, like, why, why is Jesus getting onto my boat? Why not the other one? Right? Jesus gets so near to him. And then he raises his voice to speak to large crowds, possibly hundreds or even thousands of people. So Simon Peter cannot not hear what Jesus is saying. right? Really loud, blasting near his face. His voice. And evidently, Jesus is not just there to use the fishing boat as his pulpit. He's he's there for another reason. He's seeking to reach out to Simon Peter. Verses 4 to 5. When Jesus, he had finished speaking, he said to Simon, Simon Peter, he said, put out into the deep and let out your nets for a catch. Now This is really interesting because it looks like Jesus knows that Simon Peter is thinking about his fishing work, probably not quite giving full attention to whatever he was teaching that day, right? But now Jesus has got his attention fully because fishing is exactly what Simon Peter has been thinking about. It's like super relevant to him, right? That's the exact desire of his heart. He wants to see success in his labor, Now, if you ever get to talk to a first century fisherman in Galilee, they would tell you it is super hard work. The work was strenuous. Like what kind of people should sign up for a work like that? If you're lazy or weak, you cannot be a fisherman, right? You've got to be rugged. You've got to be hardy because you would encounter all kinds of weathers. Sometimes even literal storms may come your way. Your life may even be in danger. So you must have the guts to persevere through hardships, even when success is elusive. You may toil for hours and hours without any catch, but you cannot give up. It's part of the fisherman DNA. Success comes to those who work hard, really, really hard, and never give up. But that's the agony in Simon Peter's heart that day because in verse 5, Simon Peter answered, Master, that's a term of respect for Jesus. He says, we toiled all night and we took nothing. Now, basically, he's saying, my colleagues and I had given 101%, but we really had no choice but to give up. Have you experienced such frustration in your work before? It's like a lot of work but no success, put in so much effort to achieve something, but it amounts to nothing. Super frustrating, super discouraging. And if this experience is prolonged prolonged enough, you may even despair. But Simon Peter hears this Jesus saying, let down your nets for a catch. And he decides to follow his instructions. Now, most of us actually would have pardoned Simon Peter if he actually thinks inside his mind, like, what do you know about my industry, Jesus? What do you know about how to solve my problems? You are no fisherman. And maybe privately he did think that way. But in any case, Simon Peter respects Jesus enough to say, okay, okay, at your word, I will let down the nets. I'll try. Who knows, right? Maybe he can catch a few small fish. Better than nothing. Now, Simon Peter wouldn't have expected this because what happens next is absolutely life-changing for him. He catches more fish than he had hoped for, more than he ever imagined. Verses 6 to 7, when they had done this, they enclosed a large number of fish and their nets were breaking. So the, the nets couldn't even hold anymore with all the fish coming on. And they signaled to their other partners in the other boats to come and help them. Like, come on, come on. There's a lot of fish coming. Come and help us. We need help. Hurry up. And so they came and they filled both the boats. But the catch was so overwhelming, the weight of success was so great that they began to sink. This is so ironic. Throughout the entire night, Simon Peter and his colleagues had longed for success. But now this success that they had so longed for, which far exceeded their expectations, is causing them to sink. Now, How would you have responded to Jesus in that moment if you were in that boat? Like, hey Jesus, you told us to catch fish. <laughs> yes, thank you very much. There is a lot of fish indeed. What's happening though? <laughs> we're overwhelmed. This is too much fish already. Do, do you know this would happen? Like, what's happening? The Simon Peter doesn't say all that. And I want you to notice Simon Peter's response because his response is very surprising. And it tells us a lot about his perception of what's happening before him. Verse 8, we read this. But when Simon Peter saw it, this miraculous catch of fish, what did he do? He fell down at Jesus' knees saying depart from me for I am a sinful man O Lord. How was going through Simon Peter's mind? Why would he say that? He sees that enormous catch of fish, he immediately falls to his feet, he tells Jesus to go away because he's a sinful man. What has all this fish got to do with his sins? Now Simon Peter clearly understands that Jesus is no ordinary man. Previously, actually, in the last chapter, he had already seen Jesus healing his mother in law from a very high fever. He already had a sense that this man is an exceptional man of God, teaching God's Word, even has the power to heal people. That's why he called him Master earlier. Now he calls him Lord. This is a title of deep, profound respect he recognizes Jesus' authority and stature. But more significantly, as he sees this incredible catch of fish, he is blown away as he recognizes the power and the presence of God through this miraculous catch of fish, this miraculous demonstration by Jesus. So much so that he recognizes Jesus as a far superior holy man. He senses God moving in and through this man and that immediately makes him realize, convicted, how in comparison, he is a sinful man. You see, if Simon Peter was not stunned enough previously by the sight of Jesus healing his mother-in-law instantaneously of fever, he definitely is stunned right now by the great catch of fish. He knows fishing inside out. He knows that the best fishing is done by night in the deep water, not in the daytime. During the daytime, you will fish in the shallow water instead. So Jesus' instruction on fishing in the deep end right now in the day actually makes no practical sense whatsoever. That's why with this knowledge, Simon Peter must have had goosebumps witnessing the great catch of fish. This is an act of God. And he senses it. Some of you might know the movie Finding Nemo. And if you're a little child here and you see this cartoon, hope it encourages your heart. This is a clownfish. Now, well, it's highly, highly unlikely that Simon Peter was trying to catch clownfish that day, but just for the sake of the illustration. Imagine if Nemo and his father Marlin were in the lake that whole night. It would be success for them if they can evade all the plunging nets from the fishermen. Avoid getting caught. That's success. So you can imagine the whole school of fish swimming in synchrony, twisting and turning right together. Now when swim fish, swim, fish swims together in the same direction, in a coordinated way, do you know what is it called? It's called schooling, right? So imagine you have Nemo, And all the fish schooling together, happily away from the fishing boats. And then suddenly they halt. And then they start zooming in at high speed towards the boats again, in the direction of Simon Peter's boat specifically. Now Nemo might be asking his dad, what are we doing, Papa? Why are we going to the boat? We're going to get caught like this. And then Marlin says to his son, there is a voice of the highest authority that is beckoning us to go. And we must obey. And Nemo tells his dad, that, frankly, that's crazy, Papa. If we do that, we'll die. If we get caught, that's it. We succeeded all night, Papa. <laughs> Why are we heading towards failure right now? And the dad replies, you know, my dear son, It's not really failure when you're heading in the direction of obedience to God. And with that, the whole school of fish reaches the boats, they get caught up in the nets, up into Simon Peter's boat, Nemo included. And Simon Peter looks at Nemo, Nemo looks at Simon Peter, Jesus Christ in the same boat. Turns out, Jesus, who seeks and saves the lost, is not as interested in finding Nemo as he is in finding Simon Peter. What Simon Peter has witnessed so shatters his paradigm that he feels and senses that God is pursuing after him. It's not just a coincidence that Jesus needs his boat for his pulpit. No, God is after him. And I I think Simon Peter realizes that then. Jesus' commanding voice of authority has gripped his heart. And here's the truth. If Jesus can perform the miracle of a great number of fish turning to him, he can perform the greater miracle of a sinner turning to him. So Simon Peter can already feel the call of God, but his first instinct is to actually resist and say, depart from me. Verse 9 tells us explicitly how he and the others were feeling at that point. So it says this at verse 9, For he and all who were with him were astonished at the catch of fish that he had taken. And verse 10, So also were James and John, sons of Zebedee, who were partners with Simon. So you've got two guys, James and John. They're not quite as emphasized in this story, but they're also very impacted by what's happening. And later on, they become Jesus' disciples as well. Now, Jesus doesn't depart as Simon Peter requested. Instead, we hear this explicit call. Jesus said to Simon, Do not be afraid. From now on, you will be catching men. And by that, he means follow him to become his disciple and make other disciples. So Jesus is saying, I'll bring you to catch something greater than fish, something greater and better than what you have dreamed about all this while. And then the story ends with Simon Peter as well as James and John responding to this call. Verse 11, it says, And when they had brought their boats to land, they left everything and followed Him. So all of them were schooling in one direction before towards their dreams of success. But through this encounter with Jesus, Now they make a dramatic U-turn, swim in a different direction altogether, and they end up committing themselves to become disciples of Jesus Christ. Lovely story. Lovely story. What can we learn from this amazing story? Two precious lessons. I call this two lessons for our hearts from Luke 5, 1 to 11. First thing is this. Each of us has superficial longings and deeper longings. Jesus wants to fulfill our deeper longings. Now think about Simon Peter in this story. He's going through a bad time as far as his work is concerned. The good news he longs for is actually just success at work. A big catch of fish, that's all he wants. But that is a superficial longing. And you have that too, probably. right? There's something that you long for superficially. Myself too. A good to have. Something that makes you feel good. And you know, Jesus could have actually just given him that. Grant him a sufficiently big catch of fish with the boat not sinking. And then just inviting Simon Peter to follow him. That would have worked. But Jesus doesn't do that. But neither does Jesus ignore Simon Peter's longing. He doesn't just shrug his shoulders and say, you can't catch any fish? That's too bad for you. Anyway, you can't make it as a fisherman. Might as well follow me, right? You could have said that. No. What Jesus does is extraordinary. Jesus actually destabilizes Simon Peter's superficial longing so that he's able to recognize his own deeper longings. So, what he does is to give Simon Peter success in such a way that feels like good news, that overwhelms him. Simon Peter has a vision of success that feels like good news, but Jesus' miracle destroys that vision altogether. So, he's teaching Simon Peter this. You have a superficial longing for success, but there are deeper longings in your heart that can only be fulfilled in Christ. You know, for many people who long for success, they take pride in their hard work. If you put your heart and mind to it, you will succeed as long as you work hard. As a fisherman, Simon Peter would have understood that. For us here in Singapore, it's very common to think this way too. We long for success in what we do. And our nation sees hard work as the absolute key to our success. Now, oh, well, yes, hard work is important. Yet that is not the absolute key. In an article on theology written by a UK pastor by the name of Andrew Wilson, he noted this really interesting phenomena. That in this that he said in this past century, there are plenty of popular examples of what is called the argument against talent. The argument against talent. And many secular writers like Malcolm Gladwell, whom I've read quite a number of his books, they've argued that talent is essentially overrated. They say innate ability is less important than perseverance, practice, focus, mental preparedness, and so forth. Translated into theological language, he says, the prevalent thinking in the world today is that works are more important than grace. Works are more important than grace. That's the prevalent thinking. Yet he argues that no matter how loudly we insist that we prefer works to grace, there is something deep inside each of us that longs for grace over works. Case in point from the article, in 2011, there was a psychological study conducted on 103 participants. And we could go to such a study as well, actually. So 103 participants. They were given two written descriptions of two classical pianists. One pianist was described as having innate ability, which is like the natural, right? <laughs> innate ability. The other was described as someone who had worked extremely hard. To develop her ability. So, she's like the striver. So, the participants were a mix of experts and lay people. They were then played a recording attributed to each musician. And then they were invited to say which one they rated more highly the natural or the striver. Now, before doing that, they were asked for their views on musical achievement. And most of them actually stated that training and practice were more important than talent. But their ratings actually showed that they preferred the natural over the striver. And of course, as you can imagine, some of you might have realized this by now, the truth behind this study is that the participants have been played the exact same recording twice. The psychologist calls this the naturalness bias. But she tried on other, you know, another experiment on another group of people. So the same experiment done with entrepreneurs making pitches to investors. Again, same results. The investors rated the same business proposal higher if they had been told beforehand that the pitch was from a natural rather than a striver. It's so ironic, isn't it? Do you see what's happening in the way we think about excellence? We prefer to attribute excellence to hard work. Yet we feel drawn to stories of innate talent. We admire strivers, but we adore naturals. Here's how Andrew Wilson concludes his article. He says this, Our minds applaud works, but our hearts pine for grace. Simon Peter was thinking that the only way for success to happen was through his hard work. That's the absolute key in his mind. But Jesus Christ that day showed him otherwise. The absolute key is grace. Fish after fish after fish on the boat. Now it was hard work to pull all that onto the boat, yes. But the absolute key to this catch was God's incredibly lavish grace. And that's the same for all of us too. Our hearts pining for grace. And when Simon Peter experienced the outpouring of grace from Jesus, it broke him. He had the superficial longing for success through his hard work. But just like all of us, his deeper longing was for grace in both good times and bad you know, it's like when the pilot receives a call from his friends who tells him, hey, hey, bro, we know things are difficult for you. We heard about your job situation. Just come along for the buffet. We'll treat you, right? We'll treat you. It's okay, you don't need to pay. In fact, every time, you know, we go ask you out, we'll just pay. You don't have to pay a single cent. We'll treat you until things are okay for you. When things get better for you, you can treat us again. That's Grace. Or when the child's mother comes to her and tells her this after receiving the poor exam results. My dear girl, whatever results you get, whatever results, I'm proud of you. Your grades don't define you. You're my daughter. You're good enough. I don't want another daughter. I don't want someone else. I don't need need a daughter who scores higher, who's more capable, whatever. I just want you. That's grace. Grace. Or when the elderly employees of the Chinese restaurant tell the young boss, sir, don't worry about us. We want this restaurant to continue too. It's your father's wish. I know it's your wish. It's our wish too. Keep it going. We're willing to work without pay for the time being. You can pay us back when things change Right? in the future, when business picks up. That's grace. That's our deeper longing. Grace. Human beings need grace. We long for grace like fish longs for oxygen out of water. God knows it. That's why He sent us Jesus on that first Christmas in this broken world. But you see, when sometimes grace is offered, our first instinct is to reject it. And that's what happened to Simon Peter. He resisted grace, he said, depart from me, I'm a sinner. Essentially, he's saying to Jesus, I'm not worthy, I'm not good enough. Just go away, go away. When you tell people to go away like this, many times it's because deep down you're ashamed of yourself. You feel like a failure. Simon Peter thought Jesus would reject him because of how messed up he is. But no, Jesus has chosen to draw near to Him to show God's grace to Him. To Jesus, God is telling all of us, I know exactly what is in you, your flaws, your sins, your ugliness, but I still want you. Jesus fulfills our deepest desires, the desire to be approved, accepted, Loved apart from how we perform what we can do, what we cannot do. All our hearts have a deep, deep longing for grace. Most importantly, God's grace. And the good news is that God who created that longing in you ultimately fulfills that longing through Jesus Christ. Praise be to God for that. Second lesson. The real tragedy in life is not a lack of success, worldly success, but a lack of meaning. Jesus wants to lead us to a deeper meaning for our lives. Now for Simon Peter, after that long, hard night without success, it might have initially felt like one of the worst days of his life. A fisherman who struggles to catch fish it feels like a tragedy. But as he hears the call of Jesus to live for God as a fisher of man, he finds new meaning in life. It turns out to be one of the best days in his life. For Simon Peter in the past, success would have meant happiness. Failure would have meant sadness. But he was living a self-obsessed life curved inwards. Essentially, Jesus has come to save him from this life curved inwards and lead him towards a more meaningful life that is curved outwards. A life curved outwards lived for God and lived for others. Now, that's a meaningful life, a life that brings true happiness and joy. Some of you may be familiar with this condition called autoimmunity. Maybe you might have even experienced it yourself. Challenging. Simply put, the immune system, which is supposed to make you healthy, actually attacks various other already healthy parts of your body, and it ends up making you sick. Any disease resulting from this type of immune response is termed an autoimmune disease. Matt Jensen, a Bible scholar, he notes a really interesting parallel between the nature of autoimmune disease and the nature of sinful mankind. He writes this in his book called The Gravity of Sin. And this is what he says about this parallel. He says that the great irony is that we pursue our own happiness, like the immune system, yet, in the end, destroy ourselves. autoimmunity, immunity like autoimmunity. God created us to pursue happiness and to love ourselves by loving Him. The inward turn all of us make is to go after the very thing we were created to go after, happiness, apart from the only one in whom our search finds its fulfillment so we go about this search wrongly. This inward turn is a destructive thing. Now, in other words, feeling happy when you experience success is normal, it's good. You should feel happy when you succeed. It's akin to a healthy immune system. That's how it's meant to work. But when you say, give me success and only then will I be happy, that's a problem. That's like auto-immunity. When you try to pursue happiness like that, you are actually attacking the healthy parts of yourself and that will destroy you. And God wants to save you from the inward self-destruction. I believe when Simon Peter saw his boat sinking because of that wildly successful catch, he discovered this truth. Jesus wants to save him from his spiritual auto-immunity. Jesus is teaching Simon Peter and all of us, we are meant to live life curve outwards, loving God, loving people, loving others. And there you will find true happiness awaiting you. That's where the joy is. Now, here's why I believe for Simon Peter, Luke chapter 5 is not an isolated incident and that he really has a heart issue that God is seeking to address, that Jesus is seeking to address. Because even after following Jesus, he still struggles with it. If you read through the gospel books, you will hear the story of Simon Peter seeing Jesus walking on water. And Simon Peter was so gung-ho. He was the only disciple. He came out too, wanting to do the very same. He actually managed to walk a little bit, But he got scared, and then he fell into the water. He tried, but failed. Jesus held on to him. And then another time, he told Jesus very confidently, he says he would never, 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 never deny Jesus Christ. He was so confident. But when Jesus was arrested, Simon Peter chickened out when people questioned him. Three times he denied Jesus, just as Jesus had predicted. He tried, but failed again. And this time, he was devastated. He cried bitterly after that. He was so ashamed of himself. Felt like a failure all over again. Like when he was on that boat as a fisherman. But later on, Jesus restored him. Three times, Jesus asked him in John 21, Do you love me? Do you love me? Do you love me? Simon Peter said, Yes. Yes. And Jesus said, Feed my lambs. Tend my sheep referring to his people. Essentially, Jesus is saying to Simon Peter, you're curved inwards again. I want to save you from that. And I'm going to restore you by leading you to curve outwards. Love God, love people. That's the meaningful life as a Christian. The greatest tragedy in human life is to miss out on this Gaining all the success in the world, but still leading a profoundly meaningless life. Gaining even the whole world, but forfeiting your very soul. Today's text tells us this. Simon Peter needs a saviour. But how did Jesus save him? How did Jesus save us? Jesus did so by travelling in the direction of danger in the direction where he knew he would be caught. Three years into his impactful teaching ministry, Jesus heard his Father's voice of authority, which beckoned him in his spirit to Jerusalem. And Jesus did. During his ministry, Jesus prayed to the Father often. And the Bible tells us that in the Garden of Gethsemane, Jesus really struggled in his humanity to complete his mission. It felt so much like a failure to be caught, to be bound like a helpless fish flopping out of water, struggling to breathe as it was mercilessly pierced on the cross. I don't know what the father said to Jesus exactly the night before he died, but I won't be surprised if the father had comforted his son this way. You know, my dear son, It's not really failure when you're heading in a direction of obedience to me. And that's what Jesus did. He voluntarily headed in the direction of obedience to save self-destructive sinners like Simon Peter, self-destructive sinners like you and me. What had seemed to be Jesus' greatest failure turned out to be his greatest success. What had seemed to be Jesus' greatest defeat turned out to be His greatest victory for the salvation of mankind for you and me. That's why Christians worldwide celebrate the coming of Christ, the death of Christ, the resurrection of Christ. 2,000 over years later, we are still singing praise unto our holy God, the Lord Jesus Christ. Because Jesus changed everything for us, you and me. Now, dear people, I do not know how 2021 has been for each of you exactly. But whatever plight you have found yourself in, this Jesus who got into the same boat as Simon Peter has gotten in the same boat as you. He is not far off. He is drawn near to you. Whether this has been a successful year for you or not, Jesus seeks to fulfill your deeper longing for grace and He seeks to lead you towards a deeper meaning for your life, a life curved not inwards, a life curved outwards in loving God and loving people. And as you hear about this Jesus, don't tell Jesus to depart from you. Don't tell him to go away. He didn't walk away from Simon Peter. He's not going to walk away from you either. He knows you inside out, and he still wants you. He still wants you. So don't be afraid. This very day, if you do not know this Jesus Christ, he offers to you his salvation for your past, your present, your future. And if you have been a believer of Jesus Christ for many, many years, today let this be a day where you are reminded again of God's great love for you. And tell Jesus afresh again Yes, I believe in you. And I will follow you all the days of my life. And he will lead you. He will lead you until you see him face to face again. Trust him. Let's pray.
0: Thank you for listening to this sermon podcast. You can find more of our sermons online on our website at www.agape.org.sg.